in some ways, what I came to the conclusion is it, it's the career of last resort in some ways because it is so hard. And, you know, the fail rate and, and the numbers of people that I've recruited into the business and to see what who remains. But the power, but the people that remain are so vastly grown. You're such a different person when you go through that process. Welcome to Give a Heck. I am your host, Dwight Heck, and for much of my life, lived my life in quiet desperation, wondering how I was going to pay the bills, take vacations, save for retirement, and one day wondering if I would get off the hamster wheel of life and have purpose. A life that most of society lives, which takes us to work, then home, then repeat, and pays us hopefully enough just to survive. The harsh truth that most live with more months than money and have no idea how to live life on purpose, not by accident. This ensures the mass majority are living not just financially broke, however emotionally and mentally as well due to financial pressures. In each episode, I will introduce you to thoughts, ideas, and guests that can help you to learn how you too can live life on purpose, not by accident. Good day, and welcome to Give a Heck. On today's show, I welcome Ken Stearns. Ken is a writer, podcast creator, and host, lyricist, photographer. Ken is a well-traveled and seasoned Midwestern kid who is beginning his third act in life for others, and most importantly, himself. Ken traded in his suit for a van, a mic, and some questions, and more than a year later into his journey, it has given him so much more than he could imagine. Ken has had over 300 guests walking through the most intimate questions about their views on life with all their stories of human tragedy, overcoming life, and finding our ways as humans. Ken's own story of risking all he had saved and built to chase his own dreams is inspiring. Ken, prior to his news venture, had a great career as an insurance executive in Asia, which gave him so many great life experiences to draw from. Ken is also the author of a book titled Dear God, Letters to God. I'd like to welcome you to the show, Ken. Thanks so much for agreeing to come on and share with us some of your life journey. Why? Thanks for that's such a such so strange here in your own bio sometimes and uh and and also getting a giggle out of it but also a little bit of you know a little bit of awe sometimes you know forgetting that i've done 300 interviews you know since i started and and like you said the stuff that i've picked up and learned and and how it's uh how it's changed me affected me oh yeah like i for the listeners they know that i put a quite a bit of prep into my shows and I was reading through, like I mentioned to you prior to recording recorded your website. I was looking out even your bio on Barnes and Noble for your book. And I was just doing some research on you. And then I wrote, I, I took bits and pieces from different places to, mm. to write the bio. And then I get I'm more connected to you. Yeah. Even before we talked today, I was more connected and I was, and then I, I have a level of excitement. And then when I say the bio, that excitement comes out of it because it, I'm excited to have the people on that I get to choose who's on my show, right? So yeah, I only select the coolest people. You know that, right, Ken? Oh, I love that. I love that. <laughs> I'm part of a cool group. Yeah, it, you're part of the cool kids, right? Like I said in your bio, you're you know you're a Midwestern kid, a seasoned Midwestern kid. I, I, 
I like the season part, just kind of, you know, it's a colloquialism. It's a nice euphemism for uh, I'm older. <laughs> well, when people say to me, especially when people say, you're my, my grandkids, you're old, Papa. No, I'm seasoned. And then I was, oh, you also, I, love, I, I use it all the time. I swear to you for more than 20 years. I even say that to adults. They'll go, well, how old are you? No. How seasoned am I? What do you mean? <laughs> I'm not old. I'm seasoned. I'm like a fine wine. Right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Awesome. So oh. Ken, one of the things I like to focus on is a person's origin story, right? A lot of times in, mm-hmm. in, on podcasts, people will just ask, you know, what's your back end story on Ken? I'll start from the time he was old enough to start drinking, right? You know, at around yeah. 11, 12. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'd like to know what your origin story is because it, I find that it helps the listeners, the viewers know, I like, can trust you quicker, right? Just yeah. by showing some vulnerability. So your earliest recollections that you feel comfortable sharing Maybe you got a story that you've never shared with somebody before and you would like to share it, but I'd love to know your origin story, the key Mm. things from your childhood, your earliest recollections to adulthood that led you to where you're at currently, please. Yeah. And I think, I think those are inside those stories, right? Those memories are some clues as to who you're going to be, right? The kind of person, the things you're going to do. There are, you can look back and there's threads. Um, You know, my, my parents were the greatest generation. They were older. My dad was 50 when I was born. So I was the last of about 10 kids for him. And, you know, he was, he was a cat. He was a manager at the Cadillac factory in Detroit, saw the last cars come off before they started making tanks. Then he helped make tanks for a few years for the war effort. And then, you know, was there when they rolled cars off and they started production back up. And that's where he met my mom. And so these are some solid, and we were, we were initially uh, supposed to land from, you know, Europe somewhere in in uh, Kent and and the U.S., but the U.S. is full, so we ended up in Muddy Flats, which is Ontario now. Uh, we fought in the French and Canadian War, so we so we fought as we fought as French Canadians against the Americans in that in French Canadian American War. They're kindred, somehow, kindred spirit, a little bit kindred spirit. And then somehow we ended up becoming Americans anyway. At the end, I don't know. They moved the border, or they moved over. You know who knows what, but I've but I've so got you betrayed that. us Canadians. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of a traitor. <laughs> I'm a little bit of a traitor Canadian. <laughs> oh uh, my goodness, this is fun. And you know, and I think some of that spirit, right? Of you know, what kind of maniacs get in a boat and jump a, and go across the ocean? You know, this old wooden crickety boat based on a sales brochure, and land in America. You know, and that takes a certain kind of genetic makeup. You know, I've got this kind of go west thing, and. You know, I think growing up, my my we traveled a lot and by car. We saw a lot. My dad was a pretty adventurous person. Um, so for you know, for me to end up in school outside of Chicago and then move to California, all kind of normal, kind of normal behaviors, I would guess. And you know, those early recollections, I just idyllic childhood. Looking back, especially, especially do I juxtaposed against some of the stories I've heard on the jar of of people growing up in the kind of environment they grew up in and just being filled with gratitude to how, you know, I got birth lottery, right? I hit the birth lotto. My parents weren't millionaires, but I grew up in a stable loving home with a mom and a dad and brothers and sisters. Now we're not all normal. And, you know, it's one sister we don't talk to and, you know, we got all the normal human stuff, uh, but nothing real traumatic in life uh, for me growing up. And, And I think I'm really blessed from that. Now, 
you know, for sure I've got some, you know, PTSD. I held older brothers. I had two older brothers and, you know, all that good stuff. We were kind of sports kids. And, and my dad was a, you know, my dad was a, at the end, he was more of a, a general manager kind of executive person. And so, you know, I, I, I wrote a song. One of the songs I wrote is called, you know, free man. And it was when I got out of corporate life, it was me looking back on corporate life and how it was a prison in a way. And it was a self-determined prison. I signed my own contract. I signed my own life away into that corporate life. Um, and, and I think it is, you know, it, I look back and I am still that kind of a little bit of that rebel kid. I was the youngest, the goofiest. I say the most outrageous thing sometimes without really thinking, um, even though I'm still 60 now and somehow survived executive life, you know, still with those kind of traits. <laughs> somehow I got through it. Um, so I've got, you know, that I'm that kind of, I feel like I have some of that DNA of the Rolling Stone and just to kind of keep moving and keep growing. And and I honestly don't know where that came from, um, but certainly you know when I was forty, I answered an ad to go overseas to to take my insurance experience that they were looking for and to take it overseas, and you know that's a really crazy thing to actually apply for uh, when you think about it, and then even crazier is to jump on the plane and drag your family and do it, and uh, <laughs> so I think I've got that. I've got that kind of spirit. You got a tenacity though. You you got a spirit of you're tenacious in the sense that like you've gone through a few things like people that don't have, you don't even have to be, a, you can be risk adverse in life and they jump on that hamster wheel. Like you talked about, you know, signing your life away, the Freeman, the Freeman song, right? You signed your life away. Well, isn't that most of society today? They go, they go through life they have learned behaviors from their family. As yeah. you mentioned, they don't necessarily talk to one another anymore as adults. You know, you're part of a birth lottery. You don't appreciate what you've got. So you go through life and you get learned behavior that's either good, bad, indifferent, broken somewhere along the line between family members and your parents and your uncles, aunts, and all the influences, associations. You grow up to an adult and, you know we become squashed. We lose that ability to be risk takers, to be tenacious, yeah. to never back down, to go and take that risk. Oh, yeah. Like what person, as you mentioned, 40 takes their family and moves to Asia. Like that to me, it's one of the most underselling sold things on people. They don't take, they don't understand or have people recognize tenacity is a superpower. Being a risk oh, taker sure. is a superpower, right? And, you're, it, and that's written all over you. Just it, from the little it, bit I do of feel like, shared. yeah, I do feel like it is a bit of a superpower. It, it, it's also can be, you know, especially from sitting where I'm sitting now, you know, I've done this a few times, um, throwing your, you know, when I left Asia, really, when I left Asia, uh, just two years ago, I figuratively, literally, literally and figuratively threw my life out the window at 35,000 feet. And let it shatter into a million pieces. Um, and I wouldn't recommend that for everybody. And I don't know that I would do it the way I did it. Of course, hindsight's, you know, a beautiful thing. Um, you know, but I left corporate and I left insurance and I left Asia, a place where I had the highest value. For 20 years over there with the, the domain knowledge I had, the market experience, 
I mean, I was a, I had a lot of valuable information, a lot of valuable experience. And, you know, I left that and I started a podcast, totally unrelated to insurance, totally underrated to business, totally, there's no relationship to anything that I had really done except communication and being close to people and listening and understanding. And, and I do think that that, that was the one thing I carried into this career from the last career was that human touch. Um, but the rest of it, I really broke up into a thousand pieces. You know what, though? You mentioned the fact that hindsight is great. We wish we all had it. And you threw your life away at 35,000 feet. But it, it, honestly, you didn't, though, because our our brain is a giant computer. It needs mm. input. It needs. That's why people become stagnant. Then they have all these mental challenges and issues. Don't don't get me wrong. I I struggle with certain things too. But I find the more I feed myself with associations yeah. of new data, new people, mm. the more excited I become. The more times I've changed and pivoted, you know, directions away from my initial careers. The, the better I feel, the less I feel like I'm trapped on that hamster wheel. And, yeah. you know, so you can say that you, you might've made different decisions. We all think that we all think I look back and think, geez, I wish I would have made this decision with this. <laughs> yes, career. Sure. I wish I would have made this decision with this kid. Maybe they would have turned oh, up yeah. differently. All we can do is say to ourselves, you know, we as long as you can honestly look at yourself in the mirror and say, I did my best. I tried at everything that I tried. Like I, I get people that say, well, I'm a failure. I had to quit doing this and not, now I got to find something else. No. Oh, did you learn anything from that journey? Yeah. Well, what do you mean? Did you learn anything with what you went through? One year, five years, whatever. Well, yeah, I learned all this valuable information. So you learned all this valuable information and the people in Asia may wish you had stayed there. But the thing that I keyed on, you, the communication factor, you didn't lose that, that yeah. people connection. I'm the same way. I love yeah. communicating with people. I love, and I'm an introvert, so I only can take it in small doses. Oh, yeah, yeah, but cool. I, but, I, but I love talking to people on a one-on-one situation or a small group situation. I love hearing people's stories. And it's taught awesome. me over my career to be a better listener. So, you know, mm. one of the things that I would ask you, out of all the things you know today at, at 60 years of age, what would you tell your 18-year-old self? Yeah, that's, that's naive and and trying to make its place in this world, make his place part of me in this world. What would you tell yourself? What would be the number one thing that you learned? Yeah, and and that's the the conundrum. There is probably change faster, do it more often, <laughs> be more aggressive with your change. <laughs> I love that. That is such a great response. Be more right? aggressive. Don't be afraid to step out because you know anybody listening, and I do have younger listeners based on analytics, younger listeners that are listening to this. You know, at the end of the day, you you may think this sounds weird, but nothing is accomplished inside of your comfort zone. Oh, Absolutely God. nothing, except maybe binge watching more television or having another beer or whatever the case may be. And I'm not judging people that do any of that, but they're in a comfort zone and they're accepted it. And they're maybe that's where they're comfortable. If you really want to achieve oh. life, you have to step out of your comfort zone. You have to be like Ken just said, you just got to change quicker. Yeah, change I wish quicker. I was. I was uh, probably my first, my the first clue that I was not normal was my uh, second year in accounting. I graduated with a degree in accounting and, you know, I had a great job in accounting manager role. And man, I was, I was like, this was, I was set. Like my whole life, I could see my whole life 
mapped out. I was the accounting manager and then I was going to be, you know, I was managing three payroll people, three payables people, three receivables people. And I reported to the, you know, the CFO and, you know, and ultimately I'd be the CFO somewhere. I mean, I could just see like, that's who I'll be. I'll be a CFO. That's my career path. And then I could see the CFO talks to the CEO and also the salesperson talks to the CEO. So the two people in charge really is you're either going to be the CFO or you're going to be um, you're going to be the the uh, sales guy. And I wrote a check one day to the salesperson. I was doing commissions in this role and I wrote a commission check that was bigger than my salary. And I didn't have a ton of respect for this person. I wasn't super impressed with this person. I thought, man. And I just was filled with panic. My 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 wife was pregnant with three months with our daughter, our first kid, just married, three months pregnant. And I had, I just quit my job for a sales job. I just found us the rankiest, dankiest sales job and I quit. I took a 60% pay cut, lost my health insurance and started <laughs> a sales job with the fantasies that I was going to make more money. And of course I got fired after six months, you know, I was about broke as I could be, took another job, lost, failed at that job, took another sales job. That job blew up until I found the job of the career of last resort, which is insurance. Um, so it was, I knew I was not normal at about 26, 27 when I hit the panic button and bailed on a bailed on my finance career and started selling copiers and calculators door to door in LA, uh, and office supplies for, that was about a two or three year transition before I got to insurance. It's just nutty. And See, insurance. So uh, you said the career of last resource, it's a career though, that I know myself. I have saved so many people's oh, lives because of it. it. So I wish people would, I, I get what your comment is because I used to think the same thing before I was first approached to get into this industry yeah. 21 years ago. But at the end of the day, people watching or listening, if you don't have insurance and you're medically sound, get it. It is cheaper yes. than any, it, the, what the value you're going to give your family will, is worth it. Uh, yeah. I mean, take this as a complete, you know, an utterance of kind of a, a bit of a joke, right? Because that was what somebody once Oh, of course. Framed, I knew what you meant. Me. I knew what you meant. Yeah. I'm just making sure that the Make, listeners catch, <laughs> catch it the right making way. Making sure the, the subtlety. Yes. Uh, last night I had a, I gave a pre, I haven't done this in a long time. It's been a few years, but last night I gave a presentation to a small agency. Um, one of my guests ended up becoming an agent and a manager, and she's got a team of about 30 people. And so last night I spent an hour and a half uh, giving a talk uh, about the career and, you know, the, how much I love it and how good, you know, how, how it was my rice bowl for my family for 30 years and all the people that we've helped and the, the absolute, I don't know what it's, what, what the word is joy, um, empathy. There, there's a bunch of words I would try to describe it of paying a claim check to a family and hearing their story about the person that died uh, and what the money that they've left for them means to them. Oh yeah. And, it's huge. You know, I mean, insurance is such a great career, uh, but it, but the funny it's not part easy is, though. It's not easy because again, back to the fact of the commission statement you made, right. Going from healthcare to consistent income. I get into this industry and everybody talks about, I was talking with a friend a few days ago, 
we all, you know, he's getting cost of living increase every year. He's got health care. He's got a defined pension, blah, blah, blah. I got none of that. I'm, I'm everything. I got to do it all and feast or famine. It's real, right? It's real. It is it's real. But and, there's and a reason why we can make more money than they in their careers. They have consistency. We have adaptability and, and ability to continue to grow. Yeah, it's it's a great career. And, and like I said, 30 years. And I think some in some ways what I came to the conclusion is it, it's the career of last resort in some ways because it is so hard. Oof. And, you know, the fail rate and, and the numbers of people that I've recruited into the business and to see what who remains. But the power, but the people that remain are so vastly grown. You're such a different person when you go through that process and you survive a few years in insurance. Oh, makes you a, makes you a better person. Oh my gosh. I can remember the first few years in the trials and tribulations. Uh, and when I got into the industry, <laughs> I was already, I had gotten divorced. I was divorced. So I was oh. literally with, you know, I'm going through and I'm going through the school of hard knocks. And then I, you have one person that says you do it this way. And they've got the traditional broken way of, of transactional thinking. And then you have a person mm -hmm. that's too much relationship. They're not enough ask for the yeah, sale yeah. at some point you know you what gotta, i mean you gotta sometimes just say you know if what i show you is a value and you know is there any reason why you wouldn't do it hmm. right just be blunt right so it is what it is but i i it's all it's a very unforgiving industry though because they change the rates of what they pay you at least in canada and the, i know in the u.s they've done that too oh yeah they just make it really, really hard. And my point earlier was all these people are saying they get cost of living increase. They get all this stuff. I don't get that. I, I've got to, I got to go work more. Yeah. There's sometimes my cost just, of living increase. Sometimes they reduce the commission, change the features, make it less attractive. Yeah. It's a dynamic industry. And and you think, you know, your client and the people listening, you think, I think that I know you and you get insurance and, you know, before I've got more, firm about the fact of budgeting and making sure people can afford what they get, right? Whether they're investing, because I do investments too, I mean, uh, I do finance as well, investing and insurance. If they can't afford it, then either we dial it back, better to have something than nothing, than for you to shoot for the stars and you can't, and all you could afford was the moon, and then I get a charge back. But that's a, yeah. that's a thing for another day. I used Oh, those yeah, frustrate you, me. You, you don't want to lose that month that habit of somebody contributing monthly right so if, absolutely you know, six, six months at too much is no good uh it's way I'd rather, better to have I'd rather five less, years rather you know, they have less bit. and have something right yeah. whether it's whether it's cash you know for those listening that don't understand like cash-based insurance mm -hmm. where you you know as voiding part of me term insurance or they're going monthly into their for in the US, you you guys, your products are a little bit different, your IRA or your 401ks or whatever. Not to say that they're good or bad products. That's a discussion for mm. another day. But doing something, always do something, something to protect yourself and your family. Always, right? And if you're a single individual, still protect your family. Because if something happens to you, can your family afford to, you know, unfortunate, your unfortunate demise? Right? Yeah, that's you don't want to leave people with that yeah so anyway i got more great questions yeah. hopefully ken you grew up catholic and were like me even an altar boy 
yeah. that you drifted away from your faith and eventually ended up in Asia, where you discovered many other different religions, cultures, and belief systems. Why do you believe you, as do many, grow away from their religious faith? It's a great question. I I think we... I think we're kind of, for the lack of a better word, you know, I use indoctrinated, but it's, and it's probably, that's a little strong, um, you know, but you are in that ecosystem, right? You're, you're deeply immersed in a particular vein. And, and certainly I think, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, even 10 years ago now, you know, you're born into a faith, right? A, a particular belief system. And that's what you grow up with. And that's what you're taught. And for me, you went to school. So school was, you know, faith-based really around, around the Catholic church. Um, and, and you spend a lot of time in it. You're deeply immersed and some religions, some churches, you know, people are there two, three times a week. You know, I interviewed quite a, quite a few number of people that end up church burned out. Now for me, it wasn't a burnout. It was more, I, I don't know if, if the Catholic church engaged me in a way uh, as a youthful person, a person with questions and in that discovery mode. And, you know, it was very old, you know, I was growing up in, you know, Catholic church, we still had nuns and habits. Um, So making that, you know, making that connection, um, you know, to, to my daily life. And I think the way that I looked at the Bible, I never owned a Bible. I was never given a Bible. I was never taught to read the Bible. And then I meet other people that that's all they do. They, the whole service is around the Bible. So it's interesting, you know, being raised Catholic and, and just kind of letting it sit. Uh, but all the while watching my mother's faith never waver, right? I mean, my mom's faith just got stronger over the years and you know to the point when her at her death she was holding on to a rosary saying you know just thumbing through the rosary as she passed i mean her whole last days were just holding on to a rosary saying the rosary even though she may not have been even conscious at that point in some ways some level of consciousness right so that faith blew me away the strength of her faith um but i also was exposed during that time i i li- i have a really unique thing i've lived in the largest muslim country the largest buddhist country the largest hindu country and i guess in the art the u.s the largest christian country i also lived in one of the largest countries that has no god no religion so very interesting journey for me uh you you lived a buffet it was a buffet of spirituality and you know, and people who had only grown up in that vein. So just as believed, just as steeped in their culture, in some of these, in some places, it's in the culture, right? You go to Indonesia and we have, you know, staff are worshiping five times a day. Ramadan is a real thing and it affects the entire business culture. Uh, the whole seasonality of it is around around uh, the religious holiday and Hinduism, you know, in, in India and, and Buddhism in Thailand uh, and then Vietnam, basically no religion religion of you know it's country family person uh, there's no god in that equation so it's really it affected me interestingly and then like i said going back and watching my mom i actually started a book called dear god dear dad was my first book and still that's in the cooking letters to my father he passed away when i was 28 and there were so many opportunities business like things that i did professionally that i would have loved to have called my father positive and negative 
stories and moments that you'd want to reach out to your dad, especially he's a business person. But somewhere in the way, along the way, that got kind of sidelined. And I don't know really how, but the Dear God got started. And I started writing, and I, and I know it was connected to me visiting my mom and seeing the strength of her faith. And and that was ultimately, and, and through a couple of other weird circumstances, that's the book I picked up to finish. Well, and your mom was in her 90s, correct? Yeah, she's 93 when she Yeah, I remember passed. reading something about that last night. And, you know, I have my, my mother is in her 80s very, very religious. And I like how you talked about the different countries and, and their, what they believe and what they don't believe. Yeah. And in the whole thing though, one reason I mentioned buffet is I treat my faith as a Catholic, like a buffet. I don't like everything that they represent. Oh yeah. Talks about, I haven't, I don't jump to another faith. I don't leave my faith, but as my kids were growing up, I encouraged them to my one daughter at one point in time thought about being a nun. And now, but I challenge her, go research, go figure out some things. (laughs) I don't want to look into it first. Don't just look into being a nun. Look at other faiths. She read the Quran. Mm -hmm. She did many different things, research religion. And she come talk to me and ask me questions. And sometimes it would be a pang because of the learned program teaching of my childhood, similar to you growing up Catholic, not giving a lot of, you know, here's, here's your hallway. Don't, here's your horse blinders yeah, yeah. Don't go outside of that <laughs> and i used to tell my kids you need to figure out your own path did it hurt right. me when they stopped doing things that i believed in sure but that's mm. their own identity just like each of those countries you talked about that's their own identity and yeah. they're right for them to live it that way yeah. if we are a true compassionate kind world we would stop judging one another we would not have wars like we're having currently and have my whole life there's been wars but my daughter came to you one day and said, I'm not, I'm not Catholic. I don't even know if I'm Christian. I said, okay, you figure out you, right? Only thing I ever ask you is be kind, be humble, and be grateful about life. Be, be grateful. grateful. Have have a have an attitude of gratitude and be grateful for what you have. Mm-hmm. And it'll all sort itself out. Sometime in your life, you're going to decide that you want to be part of organize for those listening, air quotes, air, air, air quotes, you know, organized religion has its place, but it's also very programmable. It's very, and in, in, as you put it, indoctrinated. I don't think that's mm-hmm. a harsh word. I think it's a reality. Yeah, it's, tough word. Yeah. It, it's, it's a reality of life. So I treat my religious life and my actual life like a buffet. I don't go to need everything mm-hmm. at the buffet. And the stuff I don't like that I tried, I'm never going to eat it again. You don't have to, you don't have to, yeah, you don't have absolutely. to be a Kool-Aid drinker and, and end up gone. You don't have to be that type of person where you have no direction or focus that everybody mm-hmm. else tells you what to do and where you need to go. You can be the ultimate version of you living a buffet lifestyle, right? I, I honestly that. believe that, right? And that's the way I live life. I still go to my church and they'll say, blah, 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 blah. Why do I continue to be a Catholic? Because me leaving and going to become a Lutheran or Protestant, Muslim, Hindu, I don't care what it is. I'm just jumping from something else because I didn't like things and I didn't have the mental fortitude to discount mm. it and just push it away. And I live a life of, if it ever gets to a point where there's more, where the good and bad mm-hmm. of any organized religion, I tell people this when I coach them, the good and bad and what you're experiencing, if it hits 50-50, walk away. Yeah, it always should be higher on the good side than the bad than it to be equal. 
If it's equal, then you're wondering 50% of the time, how am I going to feel today? And that's the way life is too. I treat my mm -hmm. life like that. Associations with people like you, I treat the same way too. If every time we talked 50% of the time, I, I would go on, I'd shudder. And 50% of the time I'd be like, oh, that was a pretty good conversation. No, no, no. 70, 30. That's the way I live my life. I literally live it out of 70, 30%. Absolutely. My faith, my family, and my work, right? Buffet style, man. <laughs> I'll, yeah. I'll get off my soapbox. Yeah. And sometimes, hey, you know, sometimes you eat one part of the buffet and you might, you know, you might overindulge for six months and you'll come, you won't touch it for two years and then you'll come back. It's too much. <clears throat> it's just too it's much. Like, even like spirituality. I think it's funny. Some people do come back to Christianity and they do come back to Catholicism. I think the way they, they older, need to, the way they need to, and, and not the way they were told to. And and that's it. They find it because they need it, or it's fill it's filling something that they that they want to fill, um, but it wasn't the part where it was kind of spoon fed to them. I think at that point. So yeah, I, and I think that I picked up, you know, when I ended up writing the the Dear God book, there's there's nothing religious about it. It's really me articulating my understanding of big topics around human things. Um, you know, there's there's twelve parts to the book. There's there's, there's, it's kind of organized in this four-part structure. I call it four books. Um, and the first part is book of self. And I looked at that as, you know, my own, my own mind, really. And I call it uh, your yesterdays. The chapters in there are yesterdays, todays, and tomorrows. And, you know, I kind of call that the battlefield of your mind in a way, right? Because everything, you know, there is no such thing as yesterday. There is no such thing as tomorrow, there's not even really today. There's just this moment that we have that's real. And everything else is just either a memory or a thought. And and so I call it the battlefield of the mind. It's really how you how you talk to yourself and that self-talk. Um, the next part of the book was the book of others. And, and that was between me and another person. Or yourself and another person, if you're from that angle. And it's acceptance forgiveness compassion and i thought you know as you deal with another person directly one-on-one -on -one, these are you know going in that with an accepting attitude being compassionate um and you know not carrying around hate or anger and being a forgiving kind of person i thought you know mentally and, and for your own kind of godlike way that's really the way to approach life you know is to have that kind of interaction with humans especially one on this kind of one-on-one -on -one approach. And then, you know, kind of a more humanity approach or a group approach was, you know, go out to the community, go out to the world, go out to humanity with um, uh, love, have a loving heart. Karma, that was the other part of that. And karma was really leaving people and humans better than you found them. You know, every interaction you try to be, don't, you know, you're not destroying people or taking them down, you're lifting people up. Um, and same, you know, pick up your trash, you know, leave stuff better than you found, leave stuff better than you found it, including people. Um, and service was the other part. So love karma and service and being, have a service mind, uh, to out to humanity, try to serve people. And, you know, and that just takes away from self, right? It, it, it's the opposite of self and it's thinking of other people first. Um, and then the last one was, was as close to God as I got in the book. And that was God. So it's yourself, another human, kind of this humanity piece, and then whatever that spiritual spectrum language you would call, but I would call it God. And and that one was faith, 
hope and prayer. And, and I don't know really why I settled on those, but ultimately, you know, it was the right combo. And, you know, prayer could be meditation, mindfulness, whatever you're, you know, if you have a, if you're more of a universe person, you know, it's different from prayer, but it can be similar and faith and hope. Um, so that's the the 12 topics that I had, 12 letters. And then each letter, each topic uh, got four letters. For example, love. And this was me, Dwight, testing, you know, my my ideas with God. I'm like, okay, uh, this is what I think so far. I've lived in all these countries. I got this wired. God, here's what, here's what it is. And so I was writing these letters going, this is what it is. I've nailed it. And so for love, it was, you know, asking the question and saying, isn't self-love the most important? Don't we have to have self-love? Isn't that a, the love above all? And then loving another is possible because without self-love, I can't truly love somebody truly in an uncorrupted way because I'll always have a hole. That'll be, it, it won't be a pure love. And if I can love myself and I can love another person, I can accept love. It's also, you know, a lot of people that have a hard time accepting love, right? They will do anything to destroy a relationship uh, because they can't, they haven't found self-love. And the last one is teaching love as a parent, you know, and if you love yourself and you love others and you can take a good loving comment and be loved on, you, you can show people what it's like to be a beacon. You're at that point, you're already that, you're already showing what, you're already teaching love by default if you have the first three. But without the first three, I don't even think you can really show love. You can't show somebody what it's like to be a loving person. And and I think, and I wanted to draw attention to that one. I'm just on this, on this partly because of people have got to learn to love themselves and accept themselves for who they are and truly love on yourself first and let go of other people's opinions about you and everything else. I mean, I think so even for your younger, like you said, you've got a, a, a varied audience, including younger generation. You know, find that self-love, look in that mirror, man, and tell yourself you love yourself, you know, more than all. You're never too old, though, even the younger generation. So my listenership goes into the 70s, yeah. right? So at that, at, at, so if you're somebody listening, it's never too late to give a heck about your life and start with self-love, to, to actually appreciate yourself, to practice, oh, to practice faith, hope, prayer. And again, like you mentioned, Ken, if you don't believe in prayer, whatever, you gratefulness exercises are a form of communication for self-love. I, I think gratefulness and, and prayer, like you could just exchange grateful and put prayer. Whatever floats your boat, whatever you want to yeah. label things, yeah. just be kind, be humble, be, hmm. be serving others. But again, one of the biggest things that I struggled with when I was a younger adult was loving myself and, 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 and really looking back at the fact, where did this come from? Where was my monsters in my mm -hmm. life and where was it created yes. through associations of, of people, things that I read, maybe things that I heard. What were the things that were anchoring back my mindset from being, from keeping me camped? So anybody listening, you don't have to stay camped. You can start climbing. You can start reading good books. Like you talked about um, one of the things that popped into my head because of the self-love thing. I'm a huge fan. And I just had a guy on that wrote a book and has a game that's focused around it. He didn't write the book, but one of my favorite books is the five love languages. 
and yeah, not about yeah. having a, a relationship with a woman or a woman having it with a man or, no, or no. whatever the case may be, whoever you want to love, you want to love. It's how do you give people, how do you fill people up? And usually my love languages that I'm strongest in are what I wish I was getting from people. Well, I had a oh, guy yeah. on here recently that wrote a book. It's a best-selling book and he's got a game on how to adapt and actually utilize it and, and get better at the love languages. And one of the biggest things is self-love. The whole design of it was to make sure that you can do it so you're self-loving yourself. Because how can Ken and I go out and help anybody who don't like what we see in the mirror? Or if we and if we are able to present, look at all the gurus out there, all the fake prophets or the fake educators or the you know the personal <laughs> development world, or even like you and I talked about it with podcasters, the professional podcast guests, right? Yeah. There's no, where's your originality of being you when you're present, if somebody's mm. looking, opens the doors of your life and looks inside, you're the same as you were when you were with Ken at the Starbucks. There's going to be a little different nuances, but are you the unique self? Whoever's listening, are you your unique self? If you're feeling that you're not, you're never too old. You're never too young. Just start, do the baby steps, pick up a good book. Absolutely pick up a good podcast, go listen to some of Ken's jars podcast or listen to my podcast. And yeah, you know, there's the human condition is varied. And we, if you haven't figured that out from this podcast, everybody has different faiths, beliefs. Some people like prayer. Some people like just speaking to trees and I don't really care. Speak to whatever, whatever makes you have some resolve of peace so that you can love yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Totally agree. One of the things I wanted to ask you about your book, since you brought it up, it was farther in in where I was going to ask, but it just, yeah, sure. <laughs> I, I, no, don't be sorry. I like a conversation that flows into yeah. where I don't have to worry about it. Yeah, but it just brought flows. it up. Yeah, it flows. You, you know, this all happened because you had extreme sadness over your mom, right? And you tore out a page, you wrote faith on it. Explain that journey. Like what, what was you at that point in your life? Like, what were you? Sadness is one thing. There's so many other different gamut of emotions mm -hmm. and, and mental things that we're going through. And that's, and then you started writing that letter to God, right? That's now part of your book, but you put faith at the top. What made you put faith at the top? Yeah, that was a kind of a, it's an interesting, it's another side story, and but it comes back to another kind of belief a belief system of mine and it comes back to this doing just doing stuff um and commitment so it'll take us into a little open up we'll open up another door a little bit of another door on the conversation you know i had this i had the concept of the dear dad book and that was that was a book i was going to use to write and ultimately that would be my speaking book that would be my transition book being able to talk about my father and corporate and and use that as kind of a platform and like, it's, and I was doing this traveling around flying planes, you know, not flying planes, but you know, a lot of time in airports and hotels. And and at some point you stop reading, like I can't read anymore. Right. I've heard enough. I've got so much junk in my head and it becomes at some point while reading is very admirable and there's a lot of great stuff around it. You're putting everybody else's thoughts in your head and you can't hear yourself. And, and at some points, it's hard to distinguish who you are versus everything that you've read and everything you've consumed. Um, so I stopped consuming at some point and I started to write my thoughts and and to, to kind of just to get my 
I don't know, to get a bearings or to get a, you know, kind of a true north. And I don't really remember writing the Dear God stuff, which is really strange. I remember writing the Dear Dad books and starting that, the letters. And I wrote the Dear God stuff. And Faith was deaf, was my first one out of the gate. And, it, and, and there's some photos. I remember taking a photo of my mom's rosary that I had seen since I was a child. And it was in her home. And I had that photo. And it just really struck me. Powerful image, you know, of a crucifix, right? And the rosary. And, and it was all kind of a little bit like this, blurred out, but very, you know, very strong image. And I think that was when I started writing that. But then I, but then I got a job. I had a crazy job like a crazy job at some point. And all my work got, all my personal stuff got sidelined. Uh, the only thing I was filling my head with was corporate. This objective, this thing, this event, literally six hours a day sleeping, working seven days a week for I don't know how long, a couple of years. Um, and I got spun out of that job into a very soft job. And, you know, it's kind of like coming out of a, you know, on Star Wars, when they come out of hyperspace, you know, it's like, <laughs> you come out of hyper and everything comes into focus again, because it's just a big blur. And then boom, you're stopped. And, and I, for whatever reason, I thought I had this idea. I want to play guitar. It's, it's, it's like, it's my, I've had a couple goes at it and I've, I'm unresolved with this. This is like an unresolved thing in my life. I need to, I need to learn how to play guitar. And no matter how badly, I got to give it one more try. Uh, and I'm 50 at the time. And so I I conv I talked to myself, kind of a little contract. I'm going to buy a guitar, but I'm not going to buy a, a $200 guitar. I'm not going to spend $500. I'm going to spend whatever I want to spend. Whatever whatever just gets me excited that I see that guitar. And so, but I'm going to do, to do that, I will make a contract. Two years, every Sunday, I'll have a teacher and I won't quit for two years. And at the end of two years, I'll make a choice. I'll sell the guitar or keep going. And that was a contract I made. So I really committed to something. And in a way, I don't think I'd ever done anything remotely like this with myself. So I ended up at this guitar store in, in California, and it was just shagnormous. And I was totally intimidated, immediately regretting my all my decisions in life about everything I talked about the guitar. Right, I'm going around. This is there's It's intimidating. I, and I don't even really even at this point, I don't even know how to hold one anymore. I've totally lost my my confidence in this place. And I'm walking around this one guy going from stool to stool, picking up guitars and playing them. Very confident, like a handsome rock star dude. And, you know, just kind of got an eye on him every once in a while. I'd catch him somewhere and just walking around like a fish in a fish tank. And all of a sudden, I'm, I mean, Dwight, I'm boom, I'm face to face with a guy like he's straddling a, a stool with the guitar this way i can't get around him and he's right there and we're looking at each other like this eyeball to eyeball and i just confessed everything to him hi um uh um yeah i'm gonna buy a guitar i haven't played in like 20 30 years and blah 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 and i want to buy a guitar for two years and uh what should i get and he just looked at me and goes get the red one <laughs> get the oh, red one shit. what does he oh, shoot what does he mean get the red one and he could just see my face and he goes you know the one you can't take your eyes off from across the room the one you never want to let go the one you want to hold get that one the red one 
And as soon as he said that, I knew exactly which guitar to buy. Like I turned, I was like, thank you. Turned on my heel, walked over to the wall, grabbed that guitar, walked out the store. The person I met to be my teacher ultimately kept telling me after about the third lesson, he says, we should write a song. You should write a song the next week. Hey, let's write a song next week. And finally, I was like, oh, okay, this is annoying. I don't even know how to play guitar, but he wants me to write a song. And then I remembered, I wrote a book one time. I got some book stuff. Let me go get my, my words out because I write lyrically. I write in ways where I'm pretty sure there's a song in there. So we went into these, you know, went into my old notes from, I hadn't looked at these things in two and a half, three years, maybe longer. And there it was, this little stack in a manila, manila envelope, scratches of paper that I'd written on airplanes, different colored papers, different times, different flights, different events. And there was faith, top of a page, scratched out faith. And then my letter to God, dear God, what is faith? I was totally puzzled. I mean, that that was the start. The genesis was like my mom's faith was just so confounding to me. And so it was this whole letter. And by the end of that Sunday, we had the draft of a song. And he came back that next week and we finished my first song called Faith. And, you know, I was just mind blown that, that I didn't even know how to play guitar, but already I was learning my first song. And and I liked it. I liked the lyrics. I liked what it said, the message. And that began the the evolution of writing the next song. And very quickly, I ran out of draft words. I ran out of these crumpled pieces of paper and I started writing the book so I could finish more songs. And then I fell in love with the book. Wow. It, the written word tied to song. It's so powerful, though. Uh, I didn't know how to write songs, so I stole my own words. And they were there on the page. I mean, Dwight, it was weird. Like, the choruses are there. Everything is there. The The song was in that letter. So your waiting. connection to, kind of to words became more powerful, though. Way powerful. Because, like you said, you were stealing your own words. Well, they were your own words, but you, you took them for granted. I, I And... And that letter was a song in there. Oh. I mean, there was a connection. The The guy I met, the, my, and he's still, a, he's a great friend now, and he actually produces the audio for the podcast, is my guitar teacher. And he's the bastard son of a Filipino priest. He shouldn't exist on this planet. Um, And he's just the most amazing human uh, you would ever want to meet. Just the oh. loveliest guy and changed my life. He truly changed my life because his idea to write the song, if I never had the pressure to write the song, I never would have finished that book. I never would have wrote the book. Things happen for us, not to us, right? So, uh, absolutely. I definitely felt like it was happening to me when he kept saying, write a song, write a song. <laughs> I got to be honest. I was like, are you kidding me, dude? I don't I can't even. It hurts to hold the guitar. What, I'm not going to be writing songs. It didn't make any sense to me. Well, like, you give the you give the universe stuff, and it comes back to you whether you think it's God helping you bring I, that person or the universe. I, you were getting is. in touch with yourself, brother, and and the universe brought you, God brought you, whatever what you needed, right? It the message was, I think the takeaway message from this is the commitment I made 
And I put myself in that place, in that place of two years from now. And that's what I learned. I really learned the power of this. I mean, I've I've had some ideas of what it was up until then, but now looking back, really understand what I said and the message. It's a, uh, real quick, just a side, a side note on this, because it's just on top of my mind. Um, and we kind of, I'll let you kind of drag me back. Um, a few days ago, I had, I had an idea with, with HR people. I want to take my jar podcast and bring it to the corporate world and bring it to an office. And I had an interview with an HR person in Vegas about a week ago. And at the end of the interview, so what I want to do is bring the jar, which is this, this jar of questions, these human questions, and bring it to corporate and do a roundtable and let employees kind of interview themselves and share. And my concept is when you see the humanity of the fellow coworker, you're going to be way, way more open and and nice. Yeah, there's going to be a lot less conflict at the workplace if I I don't know you at a surface level, but I know he's a human. But so the point of this the point of this was. At the end of the conversation, the HR guy said a very powerful thing. What would you like to get out of this? What do you want to do? And I said, and I very articulated said, I'd like to have a POC of about five or six people where we understand the value of this idea and it becomes very apparent. And I'd like to partner with you on that. So we had a great conversation with chat and we agreed to move forward and we're going to do some stuff that night. I went to dinner and I'm a real believer in, in, in appreciating the moments, gratitude, right? Being grateful and recognizing things when they happen. So I said, you know, tonight I'm going to go, I'm going to go sit down at the, I wasn't staying in a great hotel. I'm just going to go to the restaurant and have a steak. I'm going to go sit at the bar and have a steak. I'm going to celebrate. So I went bar, bars full, packed. Not a seat. And I asked the guy, I said, I'm just one. He goes, do you mind sitting at the end? I'll put a chair up for you. So he puts a chair up for me. There's two couples down the L on the long, on the long side. And it's really great, friendly uh, bartender. She's just super. And she knows the two couples, but they don't know each other. So this kind of cool dynamic. I talked I talk a little bit to the lady next to me, not much. And at the end of my meal, I do what I often do, which is I have my business cards with a question from the show, Dwight. And, and I tell people, how about a question of the day? Let me leave you with a question of the day, something to think about. And these are great. They're powerful questions. And they're often really hit people hard. And so I open the cards up and, you know, and I give her a question. And the lady at the end of the bar, for whatever reason, super quiet. And so when I'm doing my shtick with her, she hears me and she says, I want a question too. Oh, okay. Well, that's cool. Okay. So that's a little bit awkward. Okay. So I give her one or partner one, and then I give the next couple one. And I, and then they're like, well, you've got to get one too. I never do that. I never answer the questions. So I'm like, okay. So the six of us all shared our question and then shared what it meant to us. And we answered the question and everybody listened. And at the end of it, they were all like, this is such a great idea. This is going to, and I was telling them why I was there. And they're like, this is going to work. Oh yeah. I've worked in corporate for 25 years. And I left walking down the hallway and I was like, oh my God, literally this guy manifested my POC for the dinner. I, I, I've been to hundred cities. I've, I've eaten 
600 meals by myself outside in the last two years. I've never had anything remotely like this. And literally he manifested that created it with those words. What would you like to get out of this? I'd like a six person POC. I went to dinner two hours later. Well, things, things happen, right? Materialization of stuff just because we speak it out loud. With intention, right? Yeah. Well, intentionality is something that is so not thought of or practiced, yeah. right? And <laughs> it's kind of, I love the way you said that. Intentionality is something we don't think about. Well, we, it's true though, right? It's, it's, it's so true. It's so true. It, we just don't, we don't, we don't reflect. We don't sit back and like at night when I have a gratefulness exercise, I, I put myself through, I'm laying in bed and I, and I pray and then I reflect and I have, I have gratefulness. And the thing that's key is most people don't reflect. They don't reflect on what happened today. What, you know, what would you like to get out of your day in the beginning of the day? Talk about it. And then at night, did I get it? Yeah. What do I need to do different tomorrow? And prep their mindset for them to wake up to have that type of day that they would like, that they, they, they want to get out of that day. Does it always work? No. But... Uh, preparation is is really you know people say you know oh he's lucky no he's prepared she's prepared no, they, put, they put effort in like luck is a loser's excuse for a winner's completion right people, oh. oh they're so lucky yeah you're oh you're an overnight success that took you what 15 years what? <laughs> oh you had how many sleepless nights oh can work seven days a week oh. for a few years come on people quit place and luck as a reason that others are achieving things that you don't understand ask them and have mm. a question ask them open your mouth remove all doubt and say hey ken what did you do you know how did you get there oh wow yeah. you put that, that much effort in paint that picture yeah like quit quit labeling because labeling others or having lack of appreciation for other people's what they've gone through you literally are your self-love you're killing it you can't you self-love yourself if you're if you're envious envy rules your life and you're jealous jealousy and envy you need Ooh. to work on getting that out of your life because that kills self-love oh yeah right yeah because your value your personal value is not there absolutely not yeah um so one of the things too, though, like you talked about, I was reading about you that you got to a point and we've talked a little bit about this, but I like to talk a little bit more about this. You got to a point where you suddenly believed in everything and nothing at the same time. You were at that fork yeah. in the road, <laughs> right? Talk about that. The spirituality. Yeah. Yeah. Back to like, we've talked some about it, but I want to talk more about that if you don't Yeah. Mind. Yeah, ab absolutely. I truly, I, I think there was a, a part, um, you know, where I was adrift long enough. Um, and this is before I started, I think before I started the writing, it was definitely before I started the personal journey, you know, but seeing these different religions and seeing how they, how they, ref, how they, the connection or disassociation, even with my own spirituality, right? Because I was no longer really, I wasn't Catholic for a long time, you know, but, and I wasn't, what I didn't realize, I also wasn't Christian by the definition of Jesus being, you know, really believing in Jesus and having Jesus as your savior. And I wasn't Christian from that definition. So I was also 
you know, in a way abandoned by my own faith because I didn't, I didn't fit in anywhere. I believed in God, but I didn't believe in the Catholic church because that's a church. I'm not really a man-made religion kind of a guy, I'm more of a, you know, more of a, a spiritual based. And boy, man, I looked around and I read the Giva uh, and, and I tried to understand, you know, Hinduism. And I realized, no, that wasn't me. I looked at Buddhism. That's not really religion. It's more of a spirituality. And I, and I just like, I really lost contact with God, I, I would think, because I was in search of a religion or a spirituality that would guide me. And so I really believed in, in nothing, not, not agnostic or not, I didn't believe in God. I just, I didn't, I didn't really have any faith or belief, anything strong guiding me. Um, the universe was really not, you know, I just thought about being a good human was probably where I was at. That was about all I was holding on to. You know, the Bible's a really good handbook for how to be a good person. But I didn't understand the universe. I did not understand intentionality, even though I would like to think I would have thought I was way, way more evolved. But I was not evolved at all. <laughs> I thought I was in another place until I looked back and I'm like, I had absolutely, I had zero faith in anything. I didn't have faith. Um and it really was beginning to get back in touch with my words and writing those words and being connected with my own muse, you know, writing stuff and looking back on it and going, I don't know where that came from. That came from me. I wrote those words, but they came through me. They weren't, you know, I don't feel like they came from my head, my brain. Um, I feel like they came through me. They're certainly my words and they're part of me. Um, but there's more at work when you're in the, when you're in the creative process, I feel like there's more than just yourself involved and it could be you're you're tapping into your subconscious. Um, uh, but it's definitely not a conscious level articulation of what I could write. Yeah. That's it's, uh, you know, you talked about the fact of you, you weren't sure where you weren't really Catholic. You weren't really Christian. You weren't really, you were the only thing you had was, you know, you you had some faith, but yeah. at the end of the day, the biggest thing about faith, like I have said this statement for years, you know, fear knocked at the door, faith answered and no one was there. And people go, mm -hmm. well, that's too simplistic. No, it's not. If I have faith, the rest, I, whatever in life, whether I believe in organized religion, whether I believe in in my family, or I believe in people around me, I need to believe in me. I have to have faith core centered to myself. So my oh, core values sick. have always been the same. My core values are mm. three simple things, faith, family, work. People say, well, why faith? Is that because you're Catholic? Is you're Christian? Is it No, I have faith in myself. And then I have faith in humankind because I can have faith and belief in myself. And am I doing the right things to feed my soul? But back to that self-love, self-love and faith have to be tied together. Yeah. Yeah. They honestly do. Right. So I appreciate the, the fact of you sharing that people, Ken is being vulnerable. Ken is sharing the things that have gotten mm -hmm. him to where he is today. The biggest thing is always always evolving on the climb. That is the secret of life. So you take your last breath, even his mother taking her last breath, holding a rosary and praying 
her faith was strong. That was what made her tick. That was made her, her yeah. life meaningful for her. It don't matter what I think her life was in regards to, oh, you know, I knew this person so and true. this is her meaning. No, it's what is her meaning? She loved herself. Her belief system and structure was her faith in religion, but she had faith in herself because she was always holding, as you mentioned, that rosary is so powerful, that crucifix and everything yeah. that you you um, experienced because of that. Powerful, but it all goes yeah. back to self-love, self-reflection. You got to love yourself before you can love others. Otherwise, you're living a life of facade, and then that causes emotional and mental trauma it, it does don't be phony oh, be yeah. genuine be whoever you need to be today tomorrow right like as you talked about as part of your book and the structure of it right yeah there's no promise for tomorrow there's no yesterday's gone today is the present enjoy it and do one little baby step every single day to better yourself to love yourself to have faith in mm -hmm. yourself and humankind you will start feeling better every single day. And a little baby step will get bigger and bigger and bigger. And if you're struggling, reach yeah. out to people that can help you. Absolutely. I like that. That faith, hope, and prayer part of the, the Dear God book, right? It was, it's funny how I kind of just, I think I dumped those in the last chapter, right? Because that was only where, that's where they belonged. <laughs> it was ultimately because where they belonged. The interviews that I did with the jar, it, it's kind of interesting. The people who have really survived through that, thrive through that. What I didn't know when I put those book, those parts of the into that last chapter. I mean, faith, right? I love how you mentioned it's not just a spiritual faith. It's right. It's also a personal faith in yourself and other like faith is a really interesting word, you oh, know, yes. with and without the capital. Um I found if you have no faith, you have no hope. It's very hard to be hopeful if you don't have faith that either in God or yourself or fellow humanity, right? Because hope is a, it's like, I don't know, one's the light, one's, one's the match, one's the candle. And, you know, and put prayer, it. yeah. And, and prayer becomes, you know, prayer becomes the, the visualization of that. Right, it's the articulation of faith and hope. That it's you know, prayer is meditation. It's communication. It's communicating with your higher self, right? Your higher self. It's communicating with this quantum field, this electrical field that we're all connected to, and it's you know, and it's a communication with with your spiritual language, whatever that spectrum, wherever you'd be, whether it's God or Buddha or or just the universe, right? Whatever you're communicating to. But you know, faith and hope are the candle and the match, and and you've got to have those together to light your to find your way. Well, you definitely do because at the end of the day, to believe in nothing means oh, you don't God. believe in yourself. Oh, I, I, you you can't you can't <laughs> you have to believe in something bigger oh. than yourself because even if you don't believe in God, come on, look out your window right now, look at all the creation that's around you. If you think it just came to be on its own, give your head a shake in my opinion anyway. And if that offends people, I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. <laughs> all right. It's you got to, there's something bigger than you. You're not the de facto standard, but at, at the core, like you said, the match and the candle, you have to have faith in yourself. Have it. it drives hope. 
in humankind, mm-hmm. mankind, yeah. you know, for those that are politically yeah. correct, I say humankind, um, you know, at the end of the day, just be a good person. Like I told my kids, if you, you know, that's another thing I say to people too. At the end of the day, do you understand what the Ten Commandments are? Yeah. You may not believe in God. Take out yeah. some of the things that are related to God in the Ten Commandments, but the rest is our great rules to live by. I, I like, yeah, you follow that, you'll be a good human. Yeah, you'll be a decent, you'll be a decent human. You'll feel you'll be light in your step. You'll feel better about yourself. You'll have faith. Mm-hmm. You'll have uh, like my core values, faith, family work. You'll have a you'll have your faith drives you. If you love yourself, you can take care of your family. You can love your family. And then your work is without the other two work is just, you're an empty shell on a hamster wheel, go to work, go home, get paid. Really what's you're not in your deathbed going, geez, I wish it worked another day. (laughs) No, no one ever. That's a real thing. I have interviewed some death doulas, uh, people who help people cross over. Oh, as, wow. a, as a real, perf- like, like hospice people. I know what they it call, are, yeah. Yeah, they call themselves doulas. Um, and that's a true thing, man. Everybody just love, the only thing people lament on their deathbed is just being at the office and not yeah. missing the human connection. I wish I would have spent more time. I, I've talked to people that have, you know, one of my friends, closest friends passed away already seven years ago this past month uh, in October and he just wished he had done things differently. He yeah. wished he, he wished he wouldn't have drank so much. He wished he wouldn't have smoked so much. He wished he would have spent more time with family. There was, you don't want to be that person so tied up in regret. Like, do I have some regrets in life? I have moments. I call them life lessons. I don't call my stuff in the past mistakes or regrets. Mm-hmm. I, I try to no. always tell my brain, what was the life lesson? What did I learn? Oh, wait a minute. I didn't learn anything from that. Oh, maybe I need to re- reflect on that. What what kind you need of to what think a little if sure you know what I'm saying. A, sure you got a lesson. You may be too, you know, you may be too proud to see it or too or pig-headed. Or, proud as I was a gonna say, way. you know, bone <laughs> boneheaded to, <laughs> bone-headed to accept the fact. <laughs> um, but nothing happens to us. Right. Everything is for us. Everything that happens. And this is such a powerful thing for people to understand, you know, or and I'm, for me saying understand it, to accept it, to see it in your own way, because you have to see it. I can't help somebody see it. But yeah. things happen for us. Oh, and, absolutely. And everything is a lesson. And, you know, for people to say that God wouldn't put people through suffering or allow those things to happen. Uh, it's wrong. I mean, living, you know, life. You want free will? You can't have both. You either have free will or you have control. What do you want? Yeah. Do you want to be controlled by the universe or God or whatever you believe in? Or do you want to have free will? Right? Stuff happens. And it's what we do with it. It's turning those things into the lessons that they are, being humbled by, being here on this beautiful blue spinning ball racing through the- Oh, my gosh. And 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 realizing that we have a thin layer that protects our planet, so that we have oxygen and gravity <laughs> and all the other things that aren't available in other planets, and the things that you hear should force some ways for you to have gratefulness for this big blue ball, like you said, that we're absolutely. On, right? we are, how and lucky the fact, are we? The fact that I'm blessed to have you to talk to you right now. 
Yeah, it's, been, you're, you're, it's been a great chat. Yes, and I know we got to wrap it up soon. So, but anyway, it's been a fantastic conversation. This is that's why I really connected with you, especially when I was reading last night about your jar podcast and three hundred conversations deep and and everything that you've experienced in life and and you've shared so much. And, and obviously, there's so much more. You're so much more in depth of a person than than what we've shared in the last hour and a bit. So I would encourage people to check you out, check out your podcast. Mm. You're going to have a new podcast you're working on. You were mentioning, check out your book and, you know, maybe you'll finish that dear dad book. Who knows? But you know what? Oh, yeah, connect, we'll get around connect, to connect with people. That's what the this whole thing is and why I got into podcasting. This isn't a money thing for me at all, Ken. This is just a passion yeah. project for me. This isn't what I do to make money. This is, this is a, an investment of my time. There's a cost involved to get it out. And sure. I've just I've just met some amazing people such as yourself that make me always elevate my mindset. Always. Right. And well, it's it's a great well, thing. Well, and I hope I hope your listeners really appreciate, Dwight, the, you know, I, also as a podcaster and understanding, like we talked about earlier, most people stop at podcast seven. And the ones that make it a year, 80% of those stop. And to produce this thing consistently and to find guests and to do the production is hard work. And, you know, you're doing a good service for the listeners. People oh, I listen. And I, and I and I appreciate you having me on and spending, you know, two hours of your morning with me. Yeah, I appreciate you, brother. It's been my anniversary of my podcast was November 5th. Three years. Oh, cool. Three years, man. Yeah. That is. Four episodes, right? So you're 165. And you're. You're, you're producing, you know, and you're producing the show. So, I mean, this is a real, I mean, that's not easy to do. That's well, a, I, I put, a real I put investment. Ma- yeah, I put a majority of that. I put a lot of time in it. My own time is roughly four hours per episode. Wow. Right? And then I set it up to a uh, production guy that actually, they don't produce it, but they, they check out the sound quality. They put the intro, outro, and they load it up to my YouTube channel because this will be live on my YouTube channel and they put it up to the platforms. But I'm the one that does all the social media around it. I'm the one that does the create. I'm the one that does everything about it. All I do is I set it up to somebody so I don't have to use Audacity or any of these other software things because I don't want to. (laughs) All right. I let them take care of the technical aspect. I take care of all the human aspect of it. Yeah. All the effort in it to it. So. Ken, if you had to give our listeners one last closing message, what would you tell them in regards to giving a heck and never giving up? Mm. I would give a heck for every person you meet in the day. Um, you know, don't don't take any personal human encounter for granted. Uh, they're all an opportunity to uplift the person you 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 meet. Um that person behind you in the grocery store, definitely any service person you meet, we should all be extremely grateful for anybody showing up. You know, you can hate the service. You can, you know, we, we, you just can't complain anymore about service at retail stuff anymore because people are showing up. And I tell you, that's an amazing thing. Um, God bless people showing up. And, and like I said, give a heck about, every person you meet and try to uplift, say something kind, uh, anything, just show them that they're a human and you recognize them and you appreciate them. And you'll be surprised at how good you feel by making somebody else feel seen. 
Yeah, everybody has value. Like nobody's a waste of a human. They all have value. You just have to to put the effort in to look and to listen. Absolutely. Listening skills are one of the things that we really need to do. Visual, but listen too. time together. If you look at somebody's eyes and, you know, don't, don't, you know, take that greeting of hi, how are you? And turn it into an intentional question. Don't say it, mean it. Hi, how are you really? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you'll be surprised at what people will say. Oh, incredible. Or like I taught my kids when they were younger, we'd go into a store and they'd go, did you mean that dad? What do you mean? Well, you said to that, that person, Oh, you got a nice tie on Oh, nice hat. Or, you know, that's a nice necklace or that's a nice blouse you're wearing. And I said, yes, I was serious. You should never give out a compliment. That's, (laughs) that's empty. It should always be genuine. You shouldn't be wanting to manipulate people for your own good. You should be actually wanting to be genuine and be kind because you could be the only thing they have kind in their day happen. And you could be the catalyst for change in their whole day. You'd save somebody's life with a kind word. Honestly. Oh, absolutely. So my kids do it now you too. Just don't As adults, it. they do it, right? Oh, learn, really? Learn, oh, absolutely. Learn behavior when I'm hanging out with them, giving a server a kind word, even though the kitchen screwed up, you know, oh, I'm sorry. The kid, you know what? That's not your fault. Stuff happens. Yeah. I appreciate, yeah. I appreciate the good service, but if the service oh. sucks, I don't say, I don't lie. You need to be genuine. Right. Yeah. You know, and it, or if I see they're flustered, I'll, you know, I may not say the service was great. I'll just say, I hope you have a better day. Right. Yeah. Just leave things, leave, leave people with a kind word. Don't may never see you again. You may never see them again, but leave your indelible mark on society by being kind, humble, mm. gracious, right? Be gracious to others. So thank you, Ken. Awesome. I appreciate you, brother. What's the best way that people can reach out to you, Ken? Yeah, I think, um, you know, look, I, I'm pretty Googleable. So you can, you know, you can just put my name, but you can, you know, you can put my name in there and you can find whatever pops up and go check it out. I, you know, I'm still a fan. For me, my real love is the jar. And that's the jar.live. And you can go there and find quite a bit about me, the book. Um, you can see some of the episodes or links links to the places of the episodes. Um, so the jar.live is a good spot to go as well. It's a good website, actually. I've been on it. So thanks. Good. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. 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 Um, you'll, there's stuff on there about your book, too. Yeah. 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 A little bit about the book, a little bit yeah, about me. A little bit of bio. Yep. Yeah, which I gleaned and, off last night. So yeah, it was a good and, thing. And links to the and links to the shows as well. So you can uh, find the podcast there. And, you know, yeah. I think there's 300 and something interviews that we've got done. Everybody can find somebody they can connect to. You know, but that's had, that's that's the case for anything. Yeah. You can have I have listenership. My listeners go up on some episodes, down on another. <laughs> yes. I, I don't even worry about it anymore. I just one person gets a value out of this episode. It was worth my four hours. That, it was worth my investment of money. It was just, it was, it's all good. One yeah, person I need to change every single day. And that catalyst of one person could change somebody else. Man. Right. Steam. It's just, the it's steam beautiful. Roller. Oh, it we is got great. We have great little, you know, we're little, little balls of energy having a human experience. Let's make it nice for everybody. Fantastic. So, 
We're going to wrap up the show. Thanks so much for being on Give a Heck. And I appreciate your time and sharing some of your experiences so that others too can learn. It is never too late to give a heck. Thank you for taking time out of your day and listening to Give a Heck. If you find value, I'd appreciate you sharing with your friends and family so they too can learn how to live life on purpose, not by accident. So you do not miss the next episode, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and please also post a review. I look forward to reading your comments. This has been Dwight Heck. If you want to check out other podcast episodes or today's show notes, please check out my website, giveaheck.com. And until next time, together let us all strive to give a heck.